We're continuing tonight our, our series called Legends and Misfits. Thanks so much, guys. And um, this is the last week in it. Uh, we've been going along the way here and talking through these different um, Old Testament heroes. We started with Abraham, and I believe we did Joseph, and then Moses, and I'm losing track. I think we did Ruth, and then we did David, and last week we did Solomon, and tonight is Nehemiah. Um, but I want to say this, and I, I've tried to say this periodically as we've gone through the series, but um, this is, I, I'm not sure what, if you went to Sunday school when you were a kid, and I'm not sure if you did go to Sunday school, what that Sunday school was like, but, but um, chances are you sort of heard these stories and you just thought, okay, great, these cute little stories, and you kind of, you know, you file them away, but it's just sort of illustration stories or, or stories that maybe had a moral to them, you know, it's like, they could have been Aesop's fables for all, of, all you knew. You know, it was just, here's a story about a dude and a, and a giant and whatever, and the moral of the story is, you know. And you kind of file that away somewhere, and you think, okay, well, maybe I'll apply it this way, or I'll apply it that way. And I want to say up front here, another part of the reason why we're, we're, we're ending the service tonight and have each week in Lent with communion is because if you can walk out of here and apply this sermon, I've failed you. Now, you've probably never heard a preacher say that, because most preachers aim to be practical and applicable and all of that. But I think, and I've heard someone say this even about preachers, if you can practice what you preach, you're preaching too low. (laughs) And if you can apply everything I'm preaching, I'm preaching too low. Because the goal of the proclamation of the Word of God is to make us see who God is. And then to see ourselves in that light... And to say, oh God, help. And he says, I did. And we say, gee, thanks. And then we say, and so God, would you give us the grace and the power of your spirit again to live as your people? Does that make sense? Because nothing that we're talking about here when we gather as the church is the kind of thing that you can say, oh, well, that's just good advice. Well, I'll just go apply that this week. Look, if that's all we're doing, stay home, watch daytime TV. You'll get some good advice there. But the goal of the scriptures is much higher than that. The goal of the scriptures is to show us who God is and what what it means to live as the people of God. And those are impossible things, but for Christ and his grace. So the the, the point of ending with communion is to say, all right, here we are, Lord, you know, we, we repent, Lord, forgive us, Lord, help us. And then just as food, you know, you're taking in bread, the bread and the cup, just as food nourishes your body and gives you strength to do stuff, so as we take in the Lord's table, we say, Lord, let your grace infuse us with strength to live this week. Isn't that something beautiful to think of it that way? Versus, well, that was a neat sermon. There was three points in a poem, and, you know, and gee, I can go and apply that. And there's some catchy sayings that are really sticky, and, you know, look, you can listen to anybody for that. The other thing I want to say about these stories in this series is these aren't just random stories. This is our family story. What I mean by that is when we talked about Abraham and when we talk about Joseph and when we talk about Moses, these are not just guys and gals from a long time ago. This is the story we've been brought into. When, the, when God, the creator God, decided to unfold a plan to rescue the people of the world, he did it by calling this family of Abraham. And so the story of Israel is the story of God at work and what it means to be his people and how they failed and how they were unfaithful and how Jesus comes from that family, the seed of Abraham and all of this stuff. So when you and I sit here today, this is the story we're now part of. This is our family story, not just a bunch of disconnected little bits. Now, 
Um, let's see, I was going to say something else about that, and it just sort of flew away. Uh, it'll come back to me. Okay, so here we are, we're in Nehemiah, and let's, let's give a little backdrop to this, okay? So, um, because, just because some of us may, you know, we, we, we catch Old Testament history, we may not. But let me give you a little backdrop for this, and then let me say this. This talk tonight is not a typical um, sermon in that I'm going to tell you loads and loads of stories about our recent mission trip to Swaziland. And uh, one of the reasons I'm going to do that is because you all sent us out and you prayed for us. So we want to bring you a full report. But the other reason I want to do that is because this is New Life Church's partnership. And I'll say a lot about that tonight and I'll explain how the partnership works and why it's so critical um, and, and, and what we're trying to do here as a church. So backdrop to Nehemiah. Okay, when we, when we started with Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Ruth, these are all people that are outside the land. This is the story of Israel before they got into a land. They're sort of moving toward the land. And then we got to Joshua and David and Solomon, and it's the story of people in the land, and uh, or the people of God as they got into the land of Israel. And last week, Pastor Matthew Ayers talked to us about how Solomon inherited the kingdom at its heyday, at its height, and somehow squandered it all because of his unfaithfulness, because of his love of his own stuff and pleasure in, 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 in every way. And so it, it, he squanders it. And what happens is God basically says to Solomon, okay, look, um, for the sake of your dad, David, I'm not going to take the kingdom from you, but when your son comes to the throne, he's, it's, it's over. Well, Rehoboam comes to the throne, and then here's the ugly side of a rich empire or a rich nation, because Israel under Solomon is in its golden age. But every time, especially in the ancient world, and maybe to some degree even today, every time one nation increases in wealth, it's usually at the expense of somebody else. And so Solomon built this wealth on the backs of slaves. And there's an awareness that we're sort of having to say, wait a minute, now where do our products come from, and who's, being, who's making this chocolate and all this? And we're thinking about these things more than we ever have. Because wealth doesn't just sort of come. Oftentimes it comes at the, sake of, uh, at the expense of oppression. Well, it was certainly the case for Solomon. So Rehoboam comes to the throne and he says, what should I do? And, he, and, and these older, wiser advisors say to Rehoboam, they say, hey, wait a minute. Your dad was really, he had all these building projects and it was very oppressive and we were basically building stuff forever, mostly his palace. Can you give us a break? Rehoboam goes and talks to his younger advisors and they say to him, don't give him a break. You tell him your dad's waist is like the, the thickness of your pinky, which I suppose is a Hebrew euphemism for you ain't seen nothing yet, you know. And, uh, and, so, and so Rehoboam decides to just sort of bring it on, and the people revolt. I mean, this was the Occupied Jerusalem movement, you know, and they said, we, we will not be, you know, the 99% that make the 1%. And, and, and they, they revolt, and they find this military exile guy named Jeroboam, and he comes, and the kingdom splits in two. And there's this northern part of ten tribes that mostly in our Bible, most of the time is called Ephraim. Sometimes it's called uh, Israel. But it's these ten tribes in the north. And the two in the south keep the name, or take the name Judah. Now, when you read your Bible and you read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, it's telling you the stories of these two kingdoms. For the most part, the, nor the guys in the north were pretty bad. And so they get taken by the Assyrians around 722 B.C. They're taken away, and the Assyrians are not very nice at all. Their goal is to scatter you, to obliterate your race. So they took these ten tribes and scattered them and forced them to intermarry until they were basically no more. And Judah had it a little bit nicer. You know, they got to stay for a little bit. And somewhere in the 580s, they get taken over by B.C. They get taken over by Babylon. 
Babylon has three different raids where they come and they get them. Babylon's a little bit nicer than Assyria. They'll take you as prisoners. They won't scatter you. They won't obliterate your race. They'll just take you as slaves. Thank you very much. They take them over. Babylon then gets overrun by Persia. And this is like, you know, trading spaces, empire edition. You know, just everybody gets a shot at ruling the world. And Persia takes over, and Persia's even a little bit nicer than Babylon. They're beginning to let some of these slaves go home. That's the backdrop of the book of Nehemiah. So Nehemiah starts, and you've heard me teach on this probably in different ways, so I won't go heavy on, 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 that, on, on too much more of that context. And I want to tell you um, a lot about what we got to see and do. But let's read out of this real quick. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. These are the words of Nehemiah, Hekeliah's son. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the fortress city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came with some other men from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had escaped and had survived their captivity and about Jerusalem. And they told me, those in the province who survived the captivity are in great trouble and shame. The wall around Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this news, I sat down and wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The thing I want us to see here is Nehemiah begins to develop a burden that's larger than himself. Nehemiah has a burden that's larger than himself. He, he, he sees the situation. These guys have come back. They've finally been to Jerusalem. And, and, and he says, well, how, how is it? And they tell him. And he says, oh, my goodness, it's in ruins. And when we think about this, that he has this burden larger than himself, and we think about our own lives and we think, yeah, there's times like that. There's times when you feel like that. We, um, we took eight of us, including me, over to Swaziland, South Africa. Swaziland... You know, I had a few people kind of say, what is Swaziland? Is this its own, is this a made-up country here? You know, I thought that was like a... Anyway, it's not a made-up country. It's an independent kingdom, an absolute monarchy kingdom within, uh, I shouldn't say within, surrounded by South Africa, but it's independent, it's its own kingdom. And um, it's, it's, it's the only absolute monarchy left in, on the continent of Africa where the king really has full say. And here's the tragedy of it. The king is technically a Christian, um, but he's corrupt. So it shows that having a Christian ruler isn't all that it's cracked up to be sometimes. And, and he's corrupt. And so he's got many, many houses for his many, many wives. And he channels all the, all the resources of the country, drains it all to himself. So there's a great portion of Swaziland that is in absolute poverty. Um, I think the way they measure poverty statistics is by the, the wage earnings of U, uh, U.S. 125 a day. Well, about 60% of the population lives on that. Uh, if not less. And then, to top that off, Swaziland has the highest HIV infection rate of any other country in the world. So there's a massive problem here because you have little kids growing up without any parents. And they're growing up without parents because their parents have died. The disease has taken over, and, and it's, it's, it's gone. And for whatever moral judgments you may make about how this disease spreads, there, there, there is a lot of ignorance uh, that goes along with it for sure. There's, um, there's uh, I, can't, I don't know if I can say this from the stage, but there's different tribal um, sort of beliefs that, that, they, that sort of they, they have ingrained in them as to what cures AIDS when in fact we know is actually what spreads AIDS. Okay, so I'll just say it, say it euphemistically like that. And so there's, there's a lot of work to be done. And when we went there, um, a lot of what we were doing, there were, there were many moments where we felt this, this joy of, wow, look at this, look at this, the ability to be able to, I'd be with these kids and, 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 and bring them food and see 
some light in their eyes. And then there were moments where, even on our first night, you remember when we were sitting in our team kind of debriefing, we were sitting there on the first night feeling overwhelmed by despair, um, feeling like this is just too much. This is huge. Like, this is massive. Like, how in the world do we do anything about this? And I think that's a little like Nehemiah. Because he's got this burden that's larger than himself, and he's thinking, how does this work? And that's the question that we have for ourselves, is how does change happen? How do we make a difference? How do we make a difference? How do we create lasting change? Is it really possible? Is it really possible? I want to show you some pictures here from Swaziland. You can throw um, this up here, Michael. Yeah, put them both up there. Um, The name of this particular community is the Gege Community I'll tell you a lot about our partnership, and, and you know, maybe this is the chance to kind of say a little bit about it, but the way it works is a church in the U.S. kind of says, uh, th- through this agency, and I'll explain that later in, in the talk, but um, connects with a particular community in Swaziland and becomes a, a sponsor to that community. Uh, for New Life Church, we have two communities there. It's the Gege community and the Makiana community. When we drove up, you'll see in this first picture in the top left, when we drove up, we saw these, these buildings, we thought, okay, well, look, there's, there's life going on here, only to find out that they're actually abandoned hospital buildings. And so there once was something going on, but it's all gone. There's nobody living there. It's, it's run down. Um, and so we, we, uh, we got some time to meet with the pastor, and then you'll see these kids. These are about preschool age. They're not, they're not the kids that would come after school was over. Those kids came around lunchtime to eat, but these kids were there right away, and... Uh, Beautiful faces. Okay, let's go to the next, next one here, Michael. This is Pastor Ronald Vonda, and um, we, we got to sit and meet with him. And here's, here's where it became, I'm, I'm connecting this with the Nehemiah story, because this guy starts to talk to us about his burden. And it becomes evident that he has this burden that's larger than himself. And he's showing us this poster board, if you look closely, it's, uh, it's, it's plans of a church building, you know, that they want to eventually build. And, and uh, by visiting some of the other care points, we got to see that many times at these care points, a, a church building will double for, as, as a preschool during the week for these kids to be able to learn something, find a way to break out of this cycle of poverty and, and, and um, being stuck without education. So here's a guy with a burden larger than himself. You want to know the crazy thing about this? He's not a Swazi. He's a Zambian native. He's from Zambia, and he felt the Lord calling him and his family to come and serve in this community. They moved from Zambia to Swaziland, and guess where they live? In one of the abandoned hospital buildings. That's where he lives. This is a guy with a burden larger than himself. We continue in this story here of, of Nehemiah. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, the king was about to be served wine. I took the wine and gave it to the king, and since I'd never seemed sad in his presence, the king asked me, Why do you seem so sad? Since you aren't sick, you must have a broken heart. I was very afraid and replied, May the king live forever, but why shouldn't I seem sad when the city, the place of my family's graves, is in ruins and its gates destroyed by fire? And the king asked, What is it that you need? The story goes on, and Nehemiah decides to shoot for the moon here, and he says, Okay, well, let me tell you what I need. I need some wood, uh, some timber. To, to, to build stuff, mainly a wall, uh, the temple, and how about a house for myself? Oh, also I need some time off, uh, like a lot of time off. Oh, like maybe forever time off. Oh, and I need safe passage 
from here to there because, you know, there's vandals and bandits, you know, between on the road. And the king says, yes, yes to all of it. Nehemiah, as he's telling us this story here, includes this little detail. I had never seemed sad before in the king's presence. And that's what made it stand out. I wonder if there's something, there's a habit that he's learned here, a habit of faithfulness, a habit of having a burden and yet remaining faithful with the here and now or what's in front of you. I don't know how you are, but I find myself very often when there's a burden that, that, or a vision or something, it's, 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 it pulls you away and it's difficult to sort of say, okay, God, but how, how do I stay faithful here and now? Here's this guy. He's had that burden moment, but it's a few months have passed now. And even in those few months, he's served faithfully and done something faithfully. And don't forget, his job is not like a cushy job, okay? I mean, being a cupbearer for the king is, you're kind of tasting the king's wine before he does, just in case somebody's trying to poison him, you know? He probably got the job because someone else had vacated the position, you know? I mean, this is uh, not a cushy job. But I wonder if in this story, there's even here at the beginning of it, this idea for us that change is small. Change is small. That it often doesn't begin with, okay, well, let's go do this, let's get... With sort of a, a massive plan, it begins with the plan that you can start with here and now. I know, you're, as you listen to this, you're probably thinking, well, Glenn, why, why are we talking about Swaziland? I mean, there's, there's, look, there's Rwanda, there's this, there's that, there's all these places in the world. And I say, yes, 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 that's true. But if we try to do it all, we won't do anything. If I had this big water bottle of water and, 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 and I just went around and just sort of sprayed drops on all of you, Say, wasn't that a refreshing drink? You'd say, no, it wasn't actually. I mean, I got a little damp, but you know. But if I said, where's, where's, where's someone thirsty that's within my reach, and I gave you that bottle, I quenched your thirst. Does that make sense? What we're trying to do as a church is not save the world. We can't save the world. We can't put it all together. But what Pastor Rion, our global ministries pastor, what the strategy that we're trying to do here at New Life is to say, instead of doing a little bit for everybody, let's try to do a lot for a few. That's the goal. Instead of doing a little bit for everybody, let's do a lot for a few. And so this is our way of saying, yeah, change is small. It doesn't begin with this epic master plan where we can sort of help and rescue. And also. So I'm telling you about Swazi because this is the focus our church has decided on for the next several years. And we've decided on it because we've said, look, there's loads of places, there's loads of needs, but let's start here, and there's a great uh, infrastructure to work with. All right, let's show you a few more pictures. You can put them all up too, Michael. Yeah. Top left corner, there's Matt Howard um, singing on the guitar for some of the kiddos. There's Sarah Reeves and Alyssa Gordon. Um, I don't know, what are they doing? Painting nails there? Is that right? All, girls? Nails, whoever wanted nails painted. Okay, and then I was I was playing a, a game called Captain Ball with a lot of other kids. There, here's and then down below there is Matt and Chris painting faces. Now you see this and you think we sent you over to Africa to paint faces and nails. Like what are you doing, man? Let me tell you something. It struck all of us at different moments when we were standing there playing with these kids, talking to these kids, singing to these kids. And Jen said it, the children are just children, you know? And for a moment, they got to forget that they're also children that are starving and children that are orphaned. For a moment, they just got to be kids. They got their face painted, for goodness sake. 
I sat there trying to imagine if these were my kids. Next slide of pictures. One of my favorite things we got to do is home visits. And look up there on the la- top left. If that looks like a mud ha- hut with straw with a straw roof, that's because it is. That's um, their homes. So we went on these home visits, and um, and we got to um, we got to see where some of these people live. I think that was one of the most helpful things because the care point model is. You have an area where you, you feed the kids. And incidentally, you've heard us talk about sponsorship, child sponsorship, and all this stuff. There's lots of wonderful ministries in town that do sponsorship. The way this particular model works is because our church is partnering with these two communities, the goal is for our church to sponsor kids from those two communities. But when you sponsor one kid, it actually goes into a big pot, and that pot goes to feeding however many kids come to the care point. So right now, because this is new for us, we're at about 30% of sponsorship. Well, what that translates to in terms of meals is three meals a week. Three meals a week for these kids. So they come on three lunches, and there's a big pot that's been cooking rice and beans one day. Another day, this thing they call pop, which is basically maize meal, like a corn meal, a thing, uh, they get it real sticky. If you've been to Africa, you've no doubt eaten it. And, um, and it, I made the mistake our first night there, we had it at, at the place we were staying, and it looked like mashed potatoes, you know. So I was like, this is going to be good. And no, I couldn't open my mouth after that. I mean, it was just so sticky. But the idea is that it expands and um, holds them up. Well, when we got to go on these home visits, we got to see where these kids are, are, live, where, where the situations they're in. And, on the top right there is uh, Rebecca and Jen, and they're praying with these, the, these, these kids. I, I think that girl is a friend. Her friend is like a 20-year-old sibling who takes care of her 12-year-old and 8-year-old. That's it. That's the, the family unit, and they're trying to care for them. And on one of those days, I, I think Jen shared this story, we, every time we would go, we would go with these huge gifts of, of candles and matches and rice and corn, maize meal, you know, stuff. That's what I'm carrying there. And Chris behind me with a big bag of stuff. And, and so we would share something with them and then, and then present them with some of these gifts. Well, one day, Jen shared the story of Jesus in the boat and the storm and calming the storm and calming his disciples and, and saying, we just want you to to know that Jesus is with you in the storms. And they were like, thank you so much. And they're giving them the food and they're crying. And we get up to leave and the lady says to us, she says, um, can you pray because we're hearing that there's going to be storms coming. Like actual real storms. And we're concerned because if the storms really come, our, our houses will melt. Because there's just mud stuck up on little wood frame things kind of makes a story about Jesus calming the storm a little more real, doesn't it? makes you think about it when you think of someone who's really saying, God, don't let this one be a bad one because we may lose it all. Chris and I were carrying supplies and one of the homes we were at, Chris shared this story about God feeding Elijah through the ravens. And... Um, 
And I said, I, it just sort of came over me after he was done with that. And I said, well, maybe, maybe we are like God's ravens to you today because we brought you some stuff. And we gave him the, the bag of food. And, and this grandmother just bursts out crying because she's tasked with taking care of her grandchildren because the parents are dead. And she says, just today, just today I was praying Psalm 23, trusting that the Lord would be my shepherd. Just today. And we gave her this bag of stuff and we said, we just want you to know we believe that God has not forgotten you. We believe that he's still here, that he sees you. And when you think about it, you think, okay, well, great, but but it doesn't, you know, like, hey, you can't do this, and what about when that runs out? And all? I know, I know. I know there's lots of yeah buts and what ifs and all that. I, I know that. But there's a part of me that, that recognizes that every time we give a little bit of food, we're saying, look, you know what? One day there's coming a great banquet table, and we can't erase every hunger in the world. But Jesus said, blessed are those who are hungry now, because one day they will be so this is just a foretaste. This is just a foreshadow. This is just a little thing to say, hey, you're not forgotten. These people, and many of you who've been to Africa will know this, but you'll recognize that people, there's this saying in, 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 uh, in many of the different African countries that part, lots of Africa is over-evangelized and under-discipled. So these people believe in a God, but they need to know a little bit more about what he's like and what it means to, what, to follow him. And yet, as we're carrying hope in a bag of rice, we're seeing their faith and their sort of trust in God. This bottom picture is a, is a truck full of cabbages. The, there's a man, he's a South African man who runs all the 32, 30-something care points in Swaziland, and he's quite an enterprising business guy, and so he, they've, they've developed a farm that farms all this maize and cabbages and all this stuff. And they put local Swazis to work, and they pay them wages that are better than the wages that they would earn at other places. And then all the stuff that's harvested, it goes back to the care points to feed the people there. So there's a, there's a system that's, that's, that's thoughtful about this. Well, I put a picture of the cabbages on my Instagram uh, while in Africa on our really slow dial-up slash wireless internet that was basically dial-up. And, uh, and someone said, well, why cabbages? And so I asked them, I was like, yeah, why cabbages? He says, well, the kids don't get any vegetables. They don't get any nutritious food, and cabbages are pretty durable vegetables. You know? So we just give them a whole head of cabbage, and then they can have at it until it is no more. So that's that. Okay, you can go to the next one. The next day, um, I got to meet him. For, a, a, you know, what is it, six months, maybe nine months now, we began sponsoring this child, and, and, and um, our first day there at the Gay Gay Care Point, they said, oh, you're probably not going to meet him. He's in, he's in fourth grade. They're, they have this school activity thing. He's not going to be out. And I said, okay, that's fine. And then on the second day there, Pastor Ronald comes up to me. He says, hey, Pastor Glenn, we, we, we found in Bogany. And uh, he came up to me, and we talked for, I don't know, maybe two minutes, you know, Broken English, and uh, all we're really allowed to say is, I- "I'm I'm your I'm your friend. I'm your special friend." And he's got this smile on his face. And now I could see that he's not a face on the fridge, you know. 
He's a kid that lives in one of those houses that gets like three meals a week. And he's going to school. What is hope for him? And I walked away from being with him just shaking and crying and praying, just saying, God, thank you. Thank you that, that we can in some way join your work, that we can in some way participate with this. I'm saying all these things because it's small. Every one of these things are small, itty-bitty acts. It's just, it's just whatever. It's just a game of soccer. It's just face painting. It's just $35 a month. It's just whatever. whatever. And yet, that is how change happens, isn't it? By doing something small where you can. But I think Nehemiah's story gives us a little more guidance than that. Nehemiah chapter 3, and we won't read any of this. You can skim this whole chapter and see. It all reads like this first, these first four verses. It's a, it's a list of who's working where. It's a long list of names and so-and-so's son and grandson and father. And then they took this gate and this gate and, that, and they made repairs to that. And then next to him was so-and-so's son and so-and-so's thing. I mean, if you, uh, my in-laws live in, a, in small town USA. It's, a, it's a outside, They live out on a farm outside an 800-person town in northwest Iowa. So I, I, there's a little bit of that feeling when you get together and you have meals and they say, oh, that's so-and-so's son and didn't he marry so-and-so? You know, everybody knows everybody. Okay. I used to skip pages like this in the Bible. It's like, oh, genealogies and lists of households. Like, who cares? And then I read this interview with Eugene Peterson talking about this. And Peterson said, you know, you wouldn't skip it if it was your family's name. And then it sort of came alive to me. That's why they recorded it, because it is their family's story. So change is not just small. Change is exponential. It's multiplied when many people join the cause. Church is not the product that a few people sort of package together and do. Church is a collective. It's what all of us can do together because we are the bread that's given to Christ who blesses it and breaks it and multiplies it to the world. So Nehemiah says, look, I ain't doing this by myself. I'm not hanging every door and laying every brick. And households, families, fathers and sons and grandsons and daughters and mothers begin to take roles in this. I say this tonight to say even, this is not just like, okay, family units. Though I know there's a family going to Swazi in June, and I think there's, that's beautiful. But I think even if this is not a single or married thing, as sing, even as singles, being part of the church means we've, you've joined the collective. You've joined this work now. You've got a spot on the wall, and, and, and there's something to continue on. There's something that we're joining that, that, that is, is bigger than us. And it looks really small, and it looks itty-bitty, and it looks just like being a faithful mother to your children, and it looks just like being a good friend and a co-worker, and it looks just like a little sponsorship, and it looks just like this. But when it's all sort of put together, it's massive. And that's the Nehemiah way, that change is not just small, but it's exponential. It begins to multiply in God's hands. And the next slide here kind of explains a bit about how this ministry partnership works. So Children's Hope Chest is a ministry based here in the U.S. It's in Colorado Springs. Some of our good friends lead it. And they are like the liaison between U.S. churches 
and Swazi communities. So if you're a business person, you could think of it as almost like the, the marketing arm. They're the public relations. But they, they're the ones that say, hey, church, we, we've got a community for you. And they'll say, yeah, we would like to connect with one. And so like New Life, we've got two uh, communities, but we've got lots of work to do. In country, there's a team uh, called Adventures and Missions. Uh, many of you may be familiar with them, AIM, and they do the in-ground, in con- on-ground, in-country stuff. What I like about this is sometimes in missions work, people overlap work. Uh, what I see here is people uh, working together, not duplicating each other's efforts. So I think that's really cool. And then each community has a local pastor. Um, in the case of the Makayana community, it's a local Swazi pastor. In the case of the other community, it's a Zambian who moved there. But each community has a pastor that's doing this. This is not humanitarian aid. This is the church being the church and feeding and clothing the, the poor in Jesus' name. And so these local pastors are there. They're the ones that are discipling the people in these communities. A portion of sponsorship money doesn't just go towards meals. It goes towards uh, helping the discipleship team. That's the last bullet here. We got to hang out with these guys all week. They're an amazing, they're young, Swazi people. I mean, they're in their 20s, right? Beggy and, and uh, Vile and Landiwe. They're all, they're young Swazis in their 20s that are on the discipleship team. So the AIM staff pours into them, and then they go, and, and, and working with and alongside the local pastors, they go and disciple the kids. This is what it means to have change be exponential, to have it multiply. So it's not just uh, a, a team that comes in and does stuff and then leaves. All right. Nehemiah 6. The work goes on, and there's... Opposition that begins to rise. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. Though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates, so Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Red flag. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. Just as walls aren't built overnight, just as cities aren't restored in a week. So this work that we're engaged in is not a quick thing. It's not a zoom in, zoom out, see ya. The idea is to do something focused over the long haul. So change is small, change is exponential, but change is gradual. It, it takes time. It takes time to unfold. I want to show you uh, um, Chris Burley, who works for Hope Chess, and he was on our team. Chris and I got to go to some other care points and, and see some of the other places. And so um, on this top row is one where their church building, you can see it, there's a preschool inside of it. The picture on the top right is a solar-powered water pump. Um, obviously, clean water is a, is a big issue, and so or just access to water in the first place. And so the wells, um, when some of these churches had raised the, the funds for capital projects, and they, in their care points, they've, uh, they've got the you know, solar pump and all this stuff. The bottom row I really like, it's this church in California. They sent the whole shipping container over there, and they, you know, they, they painted it and made it nice. And uh, with, it's this mural thing. And you can't really see this, but on the far right is a picture of a playground set. They sent in this huge playground set to be um, with, for the kids. Now again, you know, all of the, the kind of step one is a kitchen, um, step two is a church, 
And then step three sort of depends on whoever the church is, that's the U.S. church that's sponsoring this communion. So, so they've, they've done this. But now I want to show you what's there at our gay gay community. That. <laughs> and and I, it's a bit, it's like this mix of comedy and tragedy because when you see these, these places that have school buildings and church buildings and all this stuff, and we came here and it's like, I, I, I don't know if you guys thought this, but we drove up and I was thinking, great, where's the care point? Where is it? And they're like, oh, well, we built this little kitchen area. It's about the size of this sound booth, maybe a little bit bigger. And then outside it are these two pots that are preparing lunch for all these kids. And I realize, people, we got to get going. we got some work to do, okay? And uh, look, there's all kinds of different projects we can give our, our lives and our time to. And I'm not, the, I'm not the Lord of your life to tell you what to do. But as your pastor, which is way down the list from Lord of, Lord of your life, as your pastor, I want to say, what could we do as a church if we work together to stay focused and, and do something with one, two communities over the long haul? What can God do with that? What will God do if people are faithful and stay? Nehemiah is, is, is asked numerous times to come down off the wall, sometimes because of opposition, sometimes because of distraction. His reply to them in the text we just read says, no, I'm not coming down because I'm doing a great work. The only way you can stay the course in following Jesus, whether it is as a parent or as a friend or as a faithful follower, whatever it is, the, the only way you can stay the course in Swazi or any of this stuff is if you really believe you're doing a great work. Because if I was standing next to Nehemiah that day, I might have said, hey man, great work. I mean, it's kind of self-aggrandizing, don't you think? I mean, you're sort of building a wall. I mean, you haven't done any miracles. You're no Elijah. You haven't fought any great battles. You're no David. In this Legends and Misfits series, he's more misfit than legend. What does this guy do? And you get the sense that maybe he thought that a little bit because his prayers repeatedly are, God, remember me. God, remember me. It's funny because that's kind of the, the parting words of these local pastors to us as we were leaving their care points. Hey, remember us. Pray for us. Pray for us. About 400 years after Nehemiah rode into Jerusalem in the middle of the night to inspect the ruins, another man rode into Jerusalem. This time it was the middle of the day and the walls were high and the gates were strong and the crowds were there crying, Hosanna, Yahweh has come to save. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Nehemiah was building a wall. but The truth is he was doing much more than that. He was preparing the way for the king to come. He was preparing the way for the king to come in. He couldn't have known it. He couldn't have seen it. But if he hadn't built the walls around Jerusalem, people couldn't have resettled into Jerusalem. And if they had not have come back to Jerusalem, there would have been no city for the Messiah to come riding in on what we celebrate today as Palm Sunday. No Nehemiah, no Palm Sunday. He didn't know it. Friends, I believe that when we surrender our lives to God and we say, all right, God, Take everything that I'm doing to you. And let's, go, let's zoom out here. We've been, we've been talking specifically about Swazi. But let's zoom out a little bit and talk about even our own lives. What are the places, who are the people you're praying for? Who are the lives you're, you're, 
hanging on for? Who are the people you're saying, God, if you would just, and God, I can't seem to change that, but God, I just want to be this little bit of influence here, this little voice here, and this little season here. What, 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 what could God do with that? Paul tells us in, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, nothing that is done in Christ Jesus is done in vain. There is no labor that, that done in Christ that is in vain. That's the beauty of what Jesus does. Jesus takes every little scrap. I mean, it's almost like a parent with a kid who's like, hey, Dad, I drew you this picture. You know, it's, oh, I'll take that, I'll take that, I'll take that. And all of a sudden, it becomes this collage. So how'd that happen? Because we have a God who's a beautiful artist who's able to take this little bit. Oh, well, it's just, it's just sponsorship, and it's just this, and I just helped the team go this one time, and I just did this, and I just did that. But all together, all of a sudden, because it's done in Christ, it becomes this thing that lasts. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does with our lives. That's what Jesus does with our acts of service and acts of compassion and love. Tonight we're going to come to the table of the Lord. And I want us to, as we do this, to just take a couple moments here, even as Greg and Mary play. Um, we, won't do sil- we won't be in silence tonight. You guys play a little bit. And, and let us let's think for a minute or two and let the Holy Spirit convict us. And to say, God, what am I holding back? What am I keeping from you? Going on a trip like this, is meant to give you the gift of perspective. And it does that. It does that. And I, I know Angela White will be in the lobby with more information on sponsorship stuff. Some of you are like, well, I want to know more. Maybe that's it. Maybe I've been sort of hanging on too tightly and I need to think about Yeah, Great, she'll be there to help you. But maybe it's beyond that. Maybe there's other things even in our own hearts where we say, God, I'm, I'm, I kind of want to be the Lord of this. I kind of want to make this happen. But it's like the kid who brings his loaves and his fish to Jesus. It's not until we give it up to him and place it in his hands that he blesses it and breaks it and multiplies it and gives it for the life of the world. That's what we are, blessed and broken and given for the life of the world. So it's fitting that we're about to come to the table where we're going to bless and break a bread. So take a moment, a minute or two, and let the Holy Spirit just maybe nudge your heart and think of ways where... You need to surrender and let go of things or maybe confess or maybe even from tonight to realize that, yeah, God, there's ways where we're living um, um, inward lives. We need to see the cross again.